In honor of the Winter Olympics happening right now, we've got a Paralympic gold medalist, Kendall Gretsch, on the Triathlete Hour today. Now, Kendall won the nail-biting, down-to-the-wire wheelchair triathlon race in Tokyo this past summer. But she's also a previous gold medalist in cross-country skiing and biathlon. She talks to us about what it's like going back and forth, which skills translate and which don't, shooting, for instance, and which sport is harder. Tune into her races in Beijing later in March. And first, Sid and I are back for Sid Talks on the Olympics, Paralympics, Winter Triathlon, and if race season is really for real happening this year. All of that after this break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership gives you access not just to exclusive triathlete content, but also content across all our network brands like Outside Magazine, Backpacker, Velo News, and Trail Runner. With an Outside Plus membership, you get two magazine subscriptions, a $50 gear credit to the Outside Shop, which includes our library of training books, resources like our custom 70.3 training course and clean eating meal plans, dozens of training plans through today's plan software, a free event with outside events cycling series, and a discount on any races on Tri-Reg or Athlete Reg. And you get access to Gaia GPS and Trail Forks to help you find great routes and an annual Finisher Picks photo package to memorialize your race afterwards. Plus, now all of our members get access to our first ever team triathlete a community of triathletes that includes Q&As with experts, training plans, in-person meetups, and team swag and giveaways. We'll be with you on your triathlon journey from start to finish. Join at triathlete.com backslash outside plus. That's outside P-L-U-S, one word. Become an Outside Plus member today. All right, we're back for Sid Talks. Sid, my big news of the weekend was somehow in a half marathon race, like a basic half, local half marathon, I am going to lose four toenails. And, so here's, <laughs> and then I told you this and you were like, oh, well, I'm sorry to get toenails again. <laughs> this is the, this is the um, new section of Triathlete Magazine podcast, the beauty section, known with those two, two well-known health and beauty experts, <laughs> Kelly and Sid. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm really excited. Well, really excited. That's a little bit of an overstatement. I think I have toenails for the first time in a lot a, the last few years, basically, um, which isn't necessarily a good thing because that means I've obviously not been racing and doing as much running and training <laughs> as I would like. Um, but yeah, normally my nails are so dead because they just get they just get yeah, I just lose them all the time, and they're actually so dead that they just don't normally grow back. And I even get like bruising on toes that have no nails anyway like sometimes when I race so but yeah mm. over half distance that's pretty that's, that's pretty like, radical that happen, to be clear that doesn't happen to me right like this yeah. is not a normal like I actually usually have a like end of an Ironman sure uh, so when, I'm, right. I'm saying this is normally a, a, a full distance consequence right. that's like totally yeah. no yeah wet hilly like sure yeah but like a flattish pure running race like yeah what that's happening yeah yeah because you're not at and that so then, point pouring that much down yourself no. or you're that wet. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's weird something was wrong with my shoes I've never had this happen before in like that kind of a situation but then of course like our circles are so weird I started texting friends who like and then they're sending me back my friend I texted sent me back a picture of her toes are all black because she got frostbite. And you're like, oh. like maybe we like, is this maybe normal? We need to change our normal. <laughs> yeah, this is and not. Then I yeah, was like, it is funny. Like we do have a completely warped idea of what is normal compared to right. everyone else. Yeah, it's funny. This was my thought recently about like what is stupid and what's not because I think your your switch your judgment can get off, and that's like actually okay because obviously in the when you talk to regular, regular people all the time, they're like, oh, you're going to run 20 miles? That's stupid. You got to be safe. I get a lot of be safe. You don't know what could happen. And yes, okay, fine. So then you, you, your, your judgment goes totally, like you stop, you stop listening to everything normal people say because they're like, they think biking. Like one time I was biking and this woman told me and I didn't know which way to go. And I stopped and I said like, hey, is this the way back to town? And she's like, you're never going to make it. It was 10 miles. I made it. It was fine. Like... <laughs> So you get like totally distorted, but then there are things that are actually a problem 
actually dangerous and you like aren't you you have to just like wait is this really an issue like do I really need to be worried about this (laughs) I know it is a little bit yeah we do have a very the the range is very shifted of what is what is like yeah normal sensible not sensible just get on with it don't worry yeah speaking of the olympics (laughs) (laughs) so how much have you totally normal like there's people whose sense of what is normal is messed up oh my god like i mean we've been saying we're excited for the olympic the winter olympics coming up and i don't profess to be any sports expert on any of the events and races at the winter olympics especially the more obscure ones which is i reckon about 95 percent of them i'm realizing as i'm watching more and more i'm like so when did we put think moguls plus aerials together was a good idea and when three did we years think, ago said i know i know but i just don't understand how the two go together like i understand the aerials i understand moguls together and then like the other one that just makes me laugh all the time is i understand the skeleton um, and I actually, um, quite a few years ago, was tempted to try skeleton. I actually went on a push track um, hmm. in Bath or Bristol in the UK. Um, but they take a lot of athletes from like 400 meter running backgrounds because that explosive start speed. And I get the luge because it's just the same as the skeleton, but the other way around. <laughs> I mean, I don't get it because I wouldn't want to throw myself down the track right, on. Sure. But I don't but you understand it. I understand it. That's what, yeah, yeah. I don't understand why the luge is done with two people, like lying on top of each other. And if the luge is done, why don't you do skeleton with two people on top of each Maybe other? Maybe that's the next thing. Maybe, and then we have monobob this could, year. And then you, like, could yeah. have mixed, you could have mixed, <laughs> mixed luge. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's just getting. Did you, I don't know if you've seen, have you been, the curling's been on at the moment. Did you see the, is it the Norwegian, Norwegian couple? that apparently they have like, there's a Norwegian couple and they're actually a married married partners, but they take out their marital relationship onto the ice. So they're quite vocal and often have like these arguments and everyone's been saying, don't go to therapy, just start curling kind of thing. And there's all this, it, apparently it's got quite awkward at times when they've just been like literally like yelling at each other and having this argument about the, the curling on the ice. But yeah, anyway, what have you been enjoying? Like- yeah, I was gonna say the thing that's been odd about this Olympics, like obviously I, I think we all recognize that there are like all these issues with the Olympics, but we also yeah. like love the Olympics. But the thing that's been very weird about this one, I feel like, is that those issues have been like impossible to ignore. There are some yes. very dark issues yes. around this Olympics. It's like been super weird and just it's not that, you always yeah. have to like willfully ignore it. It's very rough this time that's around. What but I, then yeah. the yeah. first few days I felt like there's something just weird about it. It's just not quite it's a, got it's that. a weird game. Yeah. But then you are watching, but then I was watching and uh, the women's slope style, whatever, the snowboarders, snowboarders or snowboarders. And they like, they, the girl finishes and she beats the other girls and they all like run out and hug her and jump in a pile (laughs) in the middle of the snow. And you're like, and I, you know, I was obviously kind of, my feet hurt. I was started crying and I was like, oh, it's so (laughs) nice. Yeah. It is like, so I think on, so that's the difference. I think you see like this. The aerials, the, the freestyle, the slope side, whether it's the skiers or the snowboarders, it, there's almost like a different atmosphere or a different vibe with the competitors. And they all mm-hmm. seem, they're like, listen, you know, it's music or it's chilled, but they all seem genuinely happy on the whole for each other when they finish. And that was it when they go. And there's also, <laughs> there's more like Australians in that event as well, because, which I always. And that always makes yeah, everyone happier. Exactly, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, but then it's you don't I don't think you get that as much in like the more traditional older sports that have been around like the the cross country skiing and the oh, biathlon no, no. I and think the, the downhill like the downhill today I think there was like killer killer looks at the end when the girl right. missed out on gold and stuff like that it was like yeah daggers. yeah I watched the cross country skiing obviously like care a lot about cross country skiing and the Norwegian didn't do well and the Russians did well and I am pretty sure that there was no hugging there yes, was it was no, very dark exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> the russian olympic committee we should right. say so that is my one russia yes not one my one big issues. complaint i have a lot of issues but like yeah. i really whatever you think about 
the sanction on Russia being that they're going to have to compete under not the country name and a yeah. different name and a different flag, like whatever you think about that, that is the rule yeah. that they're not allowed to compete as a country. So how the hell are they able to field country teams uh, in relays and on the mixed team? Those are country teams. By I def- don't think it doesn't make any sense. I don't think they should even I don't even think they should have Russia in the name. I don't think it should be Russian Olympic Committee. I think it should be independent Olympic Committee or something that just is non neutral, neutral right. or non subsequential. But yes, I agree. I don't understand how the whole thing was not to be competing as a team right. and it's like whatever however you yeah whether you, whatever you think about it and there are people who think yeah. it's entirely stupid and there are people whatever yeah that is the idea is that they're not a country so i don't understand how they have a country yeah. relay no, no. and a country team so yeah. it's <laughs> it makes uh, sense the, and the other thing for me is like there's so there's that issue which is one of the kind of the, the dark the dark issues there's a lot more on around china that i'm not qualified enough to talk about um the other the one for me is at the snow conditions. Like it's just, I was crazy. at, I, they've been bad. I was in Beijing for the 2008 Olympic games. Like that was my first experience of triathlon. I went to the bird's nest stadium and I'm just like, there's no, there's there, well, there is no snow. I mean, I think they get, no. they normally get eight inches of snow a year, maybe in that region. So pretty much the whole of the winter Olympics is fake snow that they've had yes. to make. And that impact on that just is like, and I'm looking at the downhill and the super G and I'm going, that whole mountain's fake. That whole mountain is just like, yes. and that just like, I'm like, oh my God, why have we done this? Oh, it's fascinating. I mean, they've done a very good job blowing snow. But oh. if you are one of those people who's super, super intense about snow conditions, which as cross-country skiers, downhill skiers, you, you are, yeah. then you can tell it's like weird snow. And that's why people are like struggling, like go like, what's the word yeah. sliding out but, yeah. falling like yeah. it's just weird things are happening for because, sure. and again not being the expert but like looking at the cross country and the different styles of the cross country so you've got the traditional and then the classic skate, the and classic skate, and, the skate. Yeah. and that a lot of it is also to do with the waxing mm-hmm. on the skis but then i'm guessing i'm making guessing don't know that then with the snow conditions being so like it's very weird weird yeah in the countries that like take this seriously, like yeah. Russia and Norway, uh, I want to say in 2014, like Norway's wax wasn't very good. Whatever. Russia yeah. had very good wax, like the wax team. I mean, it's a big deal. Like there yeah. are news reports. The wax team is going to be like, you know, <laughs> sent to camps. Like it's not good. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the other news I heard, and I don't know, you know, people always say this kind of thing. I heard. Winter triathlon is being considered as an addition to the Winter Olympics, which I, you know, everyone always says sports are being considered. And that's always like, I'm always a little skeptical, but obviously the Winter Olympics, people have been trying to add more sports to it because it is very limited. It's like a lot less global. Yeah. It's a lot less global than the Summer Olympics. Like when you watch the opening ceremonies, it's like India has one athlete. India is the second most populous country in this world. Like what the fuck, right? (laughs) And so it's like, why? if we're trying to expand, then we need to get some sports in there that are. So anyway, winner try. And the world championships were competed this past weekend. And so world triathlon, what used to be ITU, is really kind of backing it and putting some, you know, money, attention press behind it. I think that could be kind of, I don't have you done one? It's interesting. No, but I'd love to now you've said that. I think I did meet someone the other day here in Girona, because again, everyone's here in Girona at the moment, who actually is an ex-skier and he's now come over to triathlon, but he was going up to do the the winter tri event. Um, I mean, it sounds mental as with anything that is, I think, on snow and they're doing all combined events of <laughs> biking. It's like it's run, skiing and fat running. bike, ski. Yeah. But you do it like multiple times. Like, tw- yes, so there you are do. Many, and I think so you're like doing five it transitions. Like, yeah. 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 Um, but hey, you know what? If it, I mean, it's not, it's not triathlon, but, uh, or it's not the traditional triathlon as we know, but it's three sports. And if it gets more pe, I mean, I always struggle when they add sports to the Olympics or the Winter Olympics and what their justification is for the you goal know, is to grow the audience. But normally you have to have like it has to be played in a certain number of countries yes. before. But obviously that is different at the Winter Olympics because as you said, it's very much limited on who does winter sports anyway. 
Yeah, there's like a standard of like there has to be shown international competitiveness, yeah. uh, which is always the argument for why they don't include like a women's event because they'll say like, oh, there's not enough women in the world doing it. And you're like, which well, is, you know, circle, circle. We have this massive argument or we, I say we, the collective, the royal we, the collective we, like why? And again, you're not going to, this is why it's not in the Olympics because America doesn't play it. Netball. Right. Right. Massive sport, like hugely competitive, but it's one, it's probably female only now. So that, well, it's not, they do have mixed teams, but it's predominantly female. So they probably won't let it in from that aspect. But two, it's not played in America. So it's like, it doesn't tick the boxes. So yeah, there's weird things with that. Like when they got rid of baseball or they're going yeah. to get rid of baseball, I don't, because, you know, again, with like competitiveness and there has to be so many countries to play it. There's also the standard of like, it has to be the main event. Like if there's another thing that, so baseball was getting kind of gutted because like a lot of the best players weren't coming. Yeah, but then they said, the okay, world. well then we have to get, right. And then they said, well, we have to get rid of softball too then to be like gender equal, but softball it is the main Olympics event. Is the right? It is the main. So then you're like, well, that kind of sucks. So and, like, then that, and then that argument doesn't cla- that argument doesn't carry for golf or tennis right. because I would like I can imagine tennis really it isn't as big as the four majors and golf. I wouldn't have thought the golfers really give a. So it's the weird. Olympics is definitely not anyway. But yeah, but I also yeah. think there's very much a. And I was texting this to a friend about a triathlon thing, but I'm not going to. That is not like the saying is come and we promise we'll build it, right? <laughs> like that's not the like well-known historical saying. So you kind of have to build it and then people yeah. will come. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it'd be, uh, I mean, I, like winter triathlon at the Olympics, I just think there's so many, rant, and I'm, I mean, everyone who's probably does these sports will now be like just turning the radio off. There's so many random events at the winter Olympics, which is, Kind of what I love, but also it is a bit weird. So yeah, why not chuck another one in? Why not? Another It'll few. be great. Yeah. It'll be good for triathlon. Yeah. yeah. It also does feel, uh, and again, I mean, maybe it's just my feeling, maybe, but it does feel like this year, this season is actually getting off the ground. It feels like as like last year, this time, yes, there were races last year, depending on where you lived, but it felt very kind of. It was limited. Still, let's it was just very, train, yeah. and if something happens, we'll go for it. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I even did four races last year, and a variety of like Ironman, local, all kinds of things, and it still always sort of felt like, eh, like this doesn't really feel like race season. But this year now, it really actually feels, and I'm not even, I'm not even fit. I'm not even <laughs> like I'm not signed up for any triathlon. But it's, it feels very much like start of the season, rust busters, like oh, okay, and a big part of that is also like brands. Now, putting aside whether or not you can actually get a bike, brands are actually releasing stuff again, like new releases, new announcements, and putting money behind like ad camp, which means that they, like last year, they still held their releases for another year. Yeah. Because they didn't think people were going to buy them. Now they think they're like, so that like when money comes is when you know, like things are actually in the works. Yeah, I I think you're right. It definitely feels like that momentum is starting to build and there's almost Mm -hmm. like that nervous energy and nervous build into into the races in the season coming um it's also I think a bit skewed because and again this is not just for the pros maybe but like that first big race is St George in May in the world champs but we've got this massive build into it with very few races before it so you kind of don't know where people are at whereas normally obviously leading into Kona at the end of the year you've had you've like you've had quite a few races throughout the year to see but it just so it makes that build up into it definitely feels like we're in in, we're going into a race season it definitely feels like people are Mm -hmm. pretty convinced races you know they're they're planning it like you said the brands are releasing stuff all those all the adverts and stuff are coming out but there's just this like I think the crescendo into St. George is actually just going to be huge on the, on the professional, on the pro side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously St. George is, I mean, I know we're calling it a world championship. I think we all acknowledge it's really a world championship for the pros. Otherwise it's just sort of like a very high level race for the age groupers. Um, And there's been a lot of talk, you know, on the triathlon Twitters uh, because St. George is not sold out. Like, and I, my understanding is that that's partially because there's a much larger capacity because that because the transition parking lot, like it's a massive course, yeah. right? So their capacity isn't limited the way Kona is limited. So it's like 3,500 people or something they can put in. And so once you tack in like all the people who already qualified, you put in some, they called it like, it's not the legacy program. It's like loyalty or something like that, yeah. where it's like 
people who did 20 Ironmans over 20 years got a spot. Then they went to all world athletes and started inviting them. And so they're like, and so anyway, a lot of the internet's all like, they can't fill a spot. They're trying to make me buy a spot, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, guys, like, sort of like, duh, right? Like, yeah. what did you think was going to yeah. happen? So. Yeah. And I, I mean, look, St. George was originally an age group, an age group race, wasn't it? Yes. And so, so there was like, they've, they've had to people. honor. Yeah. yeah. And so they've had to honor those entries and that's fair mm-hmm. enough. But then of course, like with anyone who had qualified for St. George as an age grouper, you were given the choice whether you did St. George or Kona. And I would imagine most age groupers I think it was like 95% Kona. chose Kona. Yeah. The people, there was a handful of people, I think, particularly those who had qu- double qualified that yeah. di- are doing both now. So that's one thing. Yeah, those and I, doing both. I would imagine that maybe, I don't know, maybe the community, the, 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 the town of St. George pitched it to or with Iron Man pitched it to say you know it's a world championship we're gonna get this number of people there yeah, I mean and... I'm not I don't even feel like I don't know there was like internet I, outrage I, and yeah. I don't even feel like bad like it's just like what did you think I yeah, actually well, think rolling down yeah, yeah, to, to all think, world makes like sense said, right we all kind of accept it's probably yeah. a professional world it's a professional world championships the pros are really excited to race there those people who'd got who were already planning to race as age groupers, great. You get to be part of it and experience it. If you choose to go there as your world champs, fine. But cool. yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, it will be a more competitive race than a regular tri- Ironman. Yeah. Absolutely, like for sure. Um, and it will be kind of a big, not like start of the season, but you know, because yeah. we'll already have a couple races, but a big kind of probably part of why there's a lot of momentum. Yeah. Um, the only one I did hear that was funny. Was so if you signed up for the regular race, it was your regular like seven hundred and fifty dollars or whatever. And then a friend of mine had already signed up, and then she had qualified for you know was qualified, and so they tried to tell her like, oh well, you can roll. So then they wanted her to pay the twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> she was like, but I've already signed up for seven hundred dollars. Why would why, I? Pay why would I? Spend- <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Sneaky. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. There we go. <laughs> so yeah, you know. Yeah. I, uh, triathlon is what it is right it's that weird reality of non-reality it's again going back to what our perception of normal is and not normal <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's just the warped world we live in but we are getting off to a normal season ish i think knock on something knock yeah. on everything yeah and I we'll think, see how I it mean, goes pretty much what are we probably maybe a month away from races really kicking mm-hmm. off obviously you know Let's put our hearts out to those people in New Zealand. And I think Australia might be okay, but New Zealand's having a rough time. You know, that's at the moment, Ironman New Zealand is still on, or, or they haven't cancelled it yet, I should right. say, but they've cancelled Challenge Wanaka, Motutapu, um, the event, I think, Coast to Coast, which is the longest day event. So that's where it's a multi, multi-race from the west to the east coast of New Zealand. And it's a combination of bike, run, kayak, biking and et cetera, et cetera. That is still going on this weekend, hmm. but I think under a very limited format or different format. So they, New Zealand, I think it's, you have to be less than a hundred people in right, right, at right. the moment. Okay. I think from what I can work out, Ironman New Zealand are just holding out as long as they can to hopefully still be able to host it. I mean, that's what are we, that's probably a month away as well. That's a, normally early March. So it's hard for the athletes because you know you, you've obviously got to still train because it might it might still happen. Right, but right. I can imagine you know with all the uncertainty and all these other events getting cancelled, like you, it'd be a real struggle yeah. motivation wise. But it would also yeah. be tough, I think, in these. I mean, there are these are some places where yeah, I don't think things are moving forward yeah. as planned in New Zealand or Australia. There's certainly, um, I think, some things are getting cancelled in Japan too. Um, yeah. there's, there's a but yeah. but here in the US, we've decided we're moving forward. So. Oh, and, and yeah, yeah, and everything else. <laughs> and everything else. Yeah. So anyway, it'll be a try yeah. season, Sid. We'll see how it goes. It will be. It's going to be exciting. And we've still got the Winter Olympics for another few weeks. <laughs> and then the Paralympics, Winter Paralympics. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I am really actually excited. I think having been out to the Tokyo for the Paralympics, I'm going to be more more invested and I'm more excited to see the para, the winter Paralympics and just the feats of athleticism that the para athletes go through on the snow was just gonna, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's going to be one to watch and worth it. 
All right. Well, we'll be back uh, in the weeks to come then. See how it goes. Cool. Thanks, Kelly. All right, this week we're talking to Kendall Gretsch, multiple Paralympic gold medalist in paratri, in biathlon, in skiing. Kendall, which out of all of those is the hardest? Oh, you threw me for a loop because normally <laughs> everyone asks me what my favorite one is. So <laughs> I was expecting that to be the question. Um, the hardest. Wow. Um, I I guess I would say, like, I don't know if any of them is necessarily harder than the other, but I would say that skiing definitely didn't come naturally to me. Hmm. So that one was harder for me, I think, um, like first getting into it because yeah, just like figuring out how to maneuver on my skis was something that like, even now, like I still am trying to figure out. So, um, yeah, not that the like sport itself is harder. It's just not as natural to me. Do you in uh, para cross country skiing? Are you in a mono ski like sitting? Is that how it works? Yeah, so um, I'm in. It's called a sit ski, um, but it's I guess a little bit different. So mono skis are for downhill skiing. Um, they'll have like one ski and then outriggers mm-hmm. that people will use, and then for cross country skiing, we're on two skis. So it's like two just regular cross-country skis and then attached to the bottom of the sit ski. Um, and then we have just like regular cross-country poles that we're using. I can see how that would take a little while to get used to, for sure. Yeah, I think the hardest thing is like learning how to turn because uh, like a, a I guess standing cross-country skier, like when they're on skis and they need to turn, like they are just picking up their feet and stepping around a turn. Whereas in a sit ski, your, your skis are fixed straight forward. And so you have to learn how to like lean and um, get up on an edge of the ski and um, yeah, like learn how to turn is completely different when you're in a sit ski. I would imagine it also involves a lot of crash. I mean, regular or standing uh, cross-country skiing involves a lot of crashing. So I would imagine sit skiing involves a lot of crashing. Yes. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely a lot of crashing. Crashing sounds like really epic. It's more just like me falling down. So, um, but yes, yeah, that is still happening to this day. Okay. And you actually, I mean, obviously you're getting ready for the winter para games right now, but you actually started in paratri and you only picked up skiing when paratri wasn't included in the Rio games. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So they announced that the, um, my classification for triathlon wasn't going to be in Rio. Um, I think maybe it was like 2014 or so, um, like right at the end of that year. And then at that same time I had moved to Wisconsin and so I had access to snow and, um, a facility that had sit skis. Um, and so it was kind of just like perfect timing. And then the director for the Nordic program reached out to me and asked if I wanted to join for a camp because he knew that I wasn't going to be able to go to Rio um, in triathlon anymore. And so he said, like, hey, why don't you come over and try um, Nordic skiing because it's an endurance sport and, um, you know, you'll have a chance to go to the games for an, a different event. I feel like the high performance directors, particularly in like the pair events, are always keeping their eye on people in other sports and then like pulling them over. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's definitely a, a lot more, I would say like talent transfer that goes on in, in Paris sport. And I think part of it too, is like when like there's like the three, or I guess like maybe track and field and then like swimming, those are the really big sports for Paris mm-hmm. side of things. And like, that's what I think if kids do it when they're young, like that's what they're doing. And so you don't really know about like these other random sports. And so, yeah, you kind of have to introduce people to to what these things are because they wouldn't know necessarily. And so I could see kind of how endurance transfers to skiing, but then you also picked up biathlon and I cannot see how shooting comes from endurance sports at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's definitely like a completely different skill set, learning how to shoot. Um, and yeah, I didn't really have a background in shooting. Like I'd never shot a gun before or something like it didn't grow up hunting or anything like that. And so 
Yeah, the the way that our events are structured um, for Nordic is we have these World Cups throughout the season and at each of them there's cross-country events and then there's biathlon events. So the way it's set up, it's really easy to do both sports because they are like hosted alongside of each other, all of our competitions. So a lot of people will do both. Um, and so when I first got in, I was just doing skiing and then they're like, Oh, you know, you should try out biathlon. I was like, Oh no, like I've never shot a gun before. I, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Um, and they're like, well, I'll just give it a try. And, um, yeah, it's really about kind of like the mental focus of, of shooting and just like the repetition of getting in shooting and practicing that. And so, yeah, I, I, I love it now. It's actually, I guess like of the winter sports, that's my favorite one. Um, because yeah, just like the whole mental aspect of having to like, you're skiing really intensely and then you have to come and like sit and calm your breath and, um, regulate your breath and try to shoot and focus when like everyone's had race brain, you can't really think straight. Um, so yeah, it's definitely an interesting aspect of the sport. How do you do that? Like, like I know that's hard for, it's like always a thing with biathlon. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is like having the same process over and over again. So it just becomes like really automatic. Um, I guess in some ways, so like I grew up playing an, an instrument, like a musical interest instrument. I play the clarinet. Um, and in some ways I think it's like kind of similar to that where like you're reading music and your fingers are just moving and you're like, don't really know how your fingers are moving to make the right notes, but it's just like your fingers remember what to do. And for me, that's kind of like shooting where like you're looking at the targets and you are like maybe looking at the the wind flag to read what the wind is doing. And you're, you just kind of like get into this automatic process of like, you know what to do to shoot. Um, and so it's just kind of like going through those motions, but a lot of it's kind of just like unfolding naturally, I guess. Um, yeah. Yes. I obviously like triathlon doesn't really have that kind of skill thing the same way some of the skill sports do where they say like, you have to really get in the zone. And and if you think about it too hard, it kind of all falls apart. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely a balance because it's like, you have to think about it some amount, but the second you start overthinking it, like it, yeah, it goes terribly. And so, um, yeah, I, I would say the closest thing maybe in triathlon is your transitions, and like mm. where you, you have to like, you want to go quickly, but sometimes like the faster you try to go in your transition, you just end up fumbling more and it becomes like not smooth. Um, so I think that's kind of the closest thing that I can think of in triathlon. Yeah, that makes sense. So how did you get into triathlon in the first place? I, um, you raise in the wheelchair category now, but you were born, right? This wasn't, I mean, as opposed to some of your competitors who had accidents, you were born with a form of spina bifida, but you didn't always do triathlon as a kid. You didn't always do sports as a kid, right? Yeah. Well, so I always did sports as a kid, um, but it was just kind of like at the local level. So I swam with my neighborhood Mm -hmm. swim team and I swam on my high school swim team. But really for me, it was more just about like being active as a kid and have like, doing sports with my friends and my sisters both grew up doing sports. And so it was like just the natural thing to do in my family, but it wasn't really like a competitive thing that I was doing. Um, And so, yeah, I went to college and wasn't really doing anything (laughs) at that point. Um, And I, I kind of like wanted to get back into um, like really just like exercising on any level at that point. Um, And then at the same time I was reading about someone that was training um, on their college swim team to go to the Paralympics. And I really like, didn't know anything about the Paralympics um, at that point and kind of like what the level was. I had tried to maybe look into it once before. And from everything I could find online, I actually like determined that I wasn't, I didn't have like a high enough disability in order to do it. I thought I didn't qualify, which is funny because I'm in the wheelchair category now. (laughs) So I was just kind of clueless about like what, what it was. Um, And so when I read this article that someone, you know, was 
going to be, they were like swimming on their college team and now they're going to the Paralympics. I did some more research and I found there was an adaptive swim practice that I could go to in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went to that swim practice and at that swim practice, the person that was running it had just started a paratriathlon club in Chicago, Dare to Try. Um, and so she invited me to the practices. They had a camp coming up. She signed me up for the camp. Went to the camp. I got signed up for a triathlon. So it was just like, <laughs> went to this one practice and kind of had my whole summer set of getting into triathlon. And then I was hooked from there. That's funny that you like did your research and thought you didn't qualify. Um, I know like you used to use uh, what sort of leg braces and now it was, so did you just think like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm not in this. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause I was trying to read like all of the classification paperwork and I, I mean, I didn't have any concept of like what things were like. I don't know if I even tried to find videos or I, I don't know. I just, in my mind, I was reading these things and I was like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't qualify for that. Like I don't use a wheelchair, so I can't do it. Um, and like, I, maybe I read something and I was like, well, where like you could be missing a limb or something. I was like, well, I have all my limbs, but you know, they just don't work right. So, so yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, I, I couldn't quite figure it out. And so it wasn't until I went to this swim practice where they were able to like explain to me what, what it was and that I qualified and that I should go start going to all these things. Mm-hmm. And I was really like figured out what it was. Yeah. Dare to Try, which is the program, right? Um, I mean, they, a lot of the Para Try Paralympians came out of Dare to Try. They're actually like, they seem like they're involved in everything in Para Try. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the thing about, I mean, triathlon in general, like equipment is such a huge thing. Like you can't just kind of like wake up one day and decide that you want to do triathlon. You have to have some level of like commitment into getting a bike and you know, figuring out how to run and swim and all these things. And then when you're a para-athlete, like that burden is just like quadrupled because in order for me to do a triathlon, I have to have a racing wheelchair and a hand cycle, both of which are pieces of equipment that I never used before. Um, And so, so Dare to Try has all that equipment. And so for someone that's new and trying to get into the sport, they can give you all of that equipment and loan it to you and get you started. And then once you're started, you can, you know, then you, you can either decide like, all right, well, I'm committed to this. I'm going to get my own equipment or they can help you with grants. And um, yeah, they're, they're really just like providing this gateway and all these resources that so many people need in order to get into the sport. And how quickly, once you, once you went to that one swim practice and suddenly were signed up for triathlon, how quickly were you like, oh, this is like, I want to do triathlon? Yeah, I would say it was pretty immediate for me. I, um, yeah, I, I, that summer I was actually going to study abroad. And so I didn't have that long of time. So I had maybe like a couple of weeks. So I went to practice as much as I could those couple of weeks and then, <laughs> I went to this camp and I did my first triathlon and I was like, okay, this is, I'm for sure going to want to be doing this. And so then I went back to school. I was in school in St. Louis and dare to try again. They helped connect me with someone that was in St. Louis that could loan me all the equipment so that I could continue training for triathlon. And um, yeah, I think it was pretty immediate for me that I knew that I wanted to, to keep doing the sport. Out of the three, you said, I mean, these were like equipment you never used before. You had to kind of figure it all out. Which was the hardest to pick up out of all of them? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say the racing wheelchair is for sure the toughest one. Um, It's so technical and it's kind of like trying to learn how to swim as an adult. Like luckily I had a background in swimming. So that (laughs) one obviously came naturally to me. Right. but yeah, learning how to swim as an adult is so awkward and like, you're just constantly thinking about things and that's what it's like in the racing chair. There's so much technique on how you should be hitting the rim, um, like where you should be hitting it, 
what you should be doing with your hands. And so it really takes a lot of practice to, in order to figure that out. Um, and how, yeah, how to move yourself efficiently. Did you realize you were going to be, okay. So you won a bunch of world titles pretty quickly. Did you realize you were going to be this good and it was going to become, you know, you're going to be a multi gold medalist. Um, I, no, I mean, I think, I think when I first started, I, I like, didn't really know what to expect. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I just, I loved it so much. And I would, I would also say that like the sport has grown so much from when I first started, like there, we have so many more people that are competing, um, in the sport that have really pushed it and the level it, it has. So, so yeah, I don't, I think it would be completely different if I came in now and started, like, I don't think I would have just like started winning things. I think it was just kind of like a timing thing of coming in and um, yeah, being able to like be on the, the earlier side of, of the sport. Right. So it has, that was going to be another question I was going to ask you is, so is how it's changed. So it has, my sense is it's grown a lot. It seems like the Paralympics this last year were much bigger kind of media wise, attention wise than they've been in the past. Does it seem like it's changed a lot um, kind of from your perspective? Yeah, I think so. I mean, even for me, like Rio, I wasn't there obviously, but I was watching it and there was no way in the U S to watch the triathlon live. <laughs> like you couldn't, it, it was the most frustrating thing, not being there and trying to watch it. And so I, there was like, one of our teammates' boyfriends was recording and live streaming on like Periscope, which was oh, yeah. a thing back then. And so I was watching that and like trying to do the live timing, yelling at my computer because I was like, what is going on? I don't, I want to know more. Um, yeah. And until like now in Tokyo, all of our races were live streamed on NBC Olympics and yeah, my entire family, a bunch of my friends, all of them could watch it online. And yeah, I mean, I think that that's huge, the the difference that makes. Yeah, and obviously your finish with Lauren Parker, when you kind of out sprinted her for the gold for the gold medal. Um, I mean, that got millions of views it got like picked up on espn i i mean it kind of went super viral did you did any of that trickle back to you like did you get a lot more attention then did you like did you kind of sense how how big a moment that was um yeah i would say it was like i mean definitely pretty immediate from like family and friends and you know just other people that i've met kind of along the way reaching out and um yeah, but then, but yeah, kind of some random people. I mean, I, I still don't really feel like, I don't know, that many people know about it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think in like our little world of triathlon, like, yeah, pe- people definitely saw it. And I think that's the cool thing. And the world of triathlon and even, you know, the world of the Paralympics. And I think that's cool because hopefully other Paralympians would see that. And maybe if they're considering, you know, switching sports or something like that, they'll see paratriathlon and consider like, Hey, like maybe I want to get into that sport and um, yeah, just keep growing the sport even more. So it didn't like, uh, you didn't suddenly like line, you weren't making millions of dollars after that. It didn't suddenly like line you up all these spots. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, no, not at all. (laughs) So can you, I mean, I guess, can you be a full-time athlete right now? Like, is that possible with para? Or are you still like having to, you know, hold on another job, et cetera? Yeah, right now I'm full-time, um, full-time athlete. Yeah. So kind of between the two sports and, um, yeah, it's, you know, I'm able to make it work and I worked for a little bit kind of like on and off. I was doing some consulting stuff, but, but really for now, especially with like Tokyo and Beijing being so close together. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, this is kind of like full-time what I've been doing. And how do you balance, I mean, Tokyo and Beijing were so close together this time. How did you kind of balance the switch between summer sports to winter sports? Did you have to just like turn it around really fast? Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting because I feel like I took a little bit more time this year between the the summer and winter, which I think 
you would think would be the opposite this year. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I've been doing the switch between the two for the last like five seasons or so. Um, And, and yeah, I kind of know like physically what it's going to take in order to switch between the two seasons. Um, You know, like the endurance fitness translates, cardiovascular fitness translates. It's just that sport specific strength that doesn't. And that's what you have to build up between the two. Um, but having the two games so close together, really, it was for me, it was like pretty just like the mental drain of it. Like the games are what you're working towards for full year for four years. So you have this, there's just more weight around that season. So I think initially I was like, oh yeah, like two games in six months, it's not that different than what I do every single year. But um, yeah, more just like the mental aspect of it was a lot harder um, than I was anticipating. So I, I really t- kind of took a solid break after Tokyo to kind of reset and um, really take a break so that now, you know, in the lead up to Beijing, I can can be like really focused and, um, you know, excited about the training. What uh, what does your like training week look like generally? Like in, you know, for triathlon and then for for skiing? Yeah, triathlon, I would say it's a little bit busier, not necessarily in terms of like the number of hours that I'm training, but just the logistics of training for three different sports, (laughs) like transitions between those two take some time. So, so yeah, I typically swim um, four to five days a week and then biking like six days a week, running maybe three or so, um, and then in the gym three days a week. Um. And then, yeah, for skiing, it's a little bit different. Typically, um, skiing, usually just we're skiing like six days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I would say we have like a little bit more off days for in the ski season than I do for triathlon. But, um, yeah, skiing six days a week and then we'll do strength Um two to three times a week. And then the other part is we'll go into the shooting range. And that's like, um, we'll, we'll have like dedicated time where we're just shooting. Um, so that's another element of, of training that I wouldn't typically have. In triathlon. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously in, uh, paratri, one of the unique things about like the wheelchair race is the head start system, you know, where you started behind Lauren at the Paralympics and kind of worked your way up at, does that, that doesn't happen in skiing, right? Like that's not. Yeah. So skiing is also a, a complicated system. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I would love to be in a sport that's like sled hockey where they don't have classification or just any sport that doesn't have classification would be great. Um, but yeah. So within the sitting classification for sit skiing, there's actually like five different subclasses oh. based on your like injury level. So someone with like a the highest level of spinal cord injury. So basically someone that's has like no core function, only using their arms and shoulder, um, they would be a 10 and then it goes all the way up to a 12, um, where that, that would be someone that's like a, a single amputee above the knee or a double above knee amputee that has full core function. Um, and yeah, kind of like, I guess, yeah, full, full core. Um, and how it works is it's for the most part, time trial starts in skiing. Um, and then depending upon your classification, you get a certain percentage of your time. So if you're a 12, like the highest level, you get a hundred percent of your time. And then going down the subclasses, they get a certain percent. So I get 96% of my time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very complicated because not only are you not like racing head to head, you're, it's this time trial format, but I can start behind someone that's like a lower classification and I can pass them on the course, but that still doesn't mean I'm necessarily beating them because if they get more percentage off, it, it yeah it's that just like, very confusing yeah it's, it's confusing um i would say our 
our most spectator friendly event to watch is a sprint race. And there you, you have different rounds of the sprint race throughout the day. So you'll start with a qualifier where everyone just does the course. Mm -hmm. And then they do the math behind, uh, like based on that day, how long it takes to do the course. They come up with that head start system that like triathlon uses because okay. it's so variable and skiing right. snow conditions and courses. You could never have a head start that would make sense. Um, so that's why the sprint they do it the day of. So you know that the conditions are like relatively similar um, from when the finals are going. But then it will be the same thing where you'll have people start and then they're like waiting and everyone catches up and whoever crosses the line first is wins. the one that wins. Okay. I think we can like get our heads around that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 complicated. <laughs> um I was yeah. gonna say the head starts to triathlon is complicated enough and uh and it's also something like most triathletes never get a chance to like I mean there are a handful of races that kind of work that way, but there's most people never get get a chance to do something like that. How does that change like your strategy? Does it change your mentally? Because I mean in Tokyo you were chasing Lauren down. So that has to be like a little different than knowing that you're being chased, right? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, because I, I guess I, I kind of get in skiing a little bit of the like being chased aspect of it because I'm not the highest classification there. So when we have our sprint race, I'm kind of like middle of the pack. So I have people behind me chasing and it's definitely a different mentality to mentality. Like when you're coming from, or when you're being chased, you're just like, yeah, just try not to let anyone pass you. And you like have this fear of people coming up behind you. Um, whereas, yeah, when you start behind, um, I don't know, both don't feel great, I guess, in the moment. Both don't <laughs> feel I, great. Also, I also don't like starting behind because, yeah, you don't really feel like you can be tactical or as tactical because you're just like, I need to make up every single second, like as quick as possible. And in my mind, and like it kind of played out in Tokyo, I was like, I I just don't want to run out of space, you know? And so right. you're like just gunning for every single second from the beginning um, of the race. Huh. Man, yeah, it both sounds, I was like, both sound rough, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're both not great. <laughs> but speaking from experience. <laughs> do you ever do pure bike or pure running or, um, events like um just straight ones yeah. never cycling um i've i've done a couple of marathons i don't think i will ever do one again um but but yeah i've done i've done a few um they're fine fun? marathons are long <laughs> okay i guess most of your yeah. events are shorter right so they're more like power strength speed events yeah yeah, I mean, the sprint, like, it takes an hour. The skiing, it varies. Like, our shortest race is three minutes, and our longest race is, like, 45. So um, a whole range of of times. But, but yeah, once you're getting over, like, the hour and a half mark, I'm, I'm not really into that. I'm not into that. So if you're getting ready for Beijing right now, when does the, the Olympics – start like by the time this airs the Olympics will start but Paralympics don't start till March right early Correct. March yes they are in March oh, I should really know the date I believe <laughs> it's March 4th I believe it's March 4th or the 9th that's the 9th. I I should know this <laughs> uh but yes I think it's the 4th I think it's the 4th to the 14th that sounds right but you have to go through so like right now you're in the U.S. but the whole protocols around Beijing are very involved. Are you yeah. like really trying? I read the New York Times story and I know a bunch of people going and are you really trying not to get COVID? Is this like the main concern right now? Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, I thought I was stressed about getting COVID before Tokyo, but it's so much more stressful now, especially because like, yeah, I mean, rightfully so. Like people are vaccinated at this point and I think everyone's, you know, like, well, probably going to get it at this point. So, so people are just like level of, I guess, um, concern. like concern is just way different than what mine has to be because yeah, we, 
if you test positive anywhere in the 14 days before we leave, like you can't go at all. So that's like nerve wracking. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty isolated at the moment, really only seeing people that I have to. Um, and yeah, I just trying to be super careful, um, in everything that we're doing. Yeah. We just came, came back from Sweden and, um, that was, yeah, a little bit terrifying because no one wears masks anywhere in Sweden at all. (laughs) Um, so so yeah, mainly just trying to like get to Beijing and not get COVID. And <laughs> <laughs> not get COVID. Beijing is going to be an interesting games, I think, for sure. Very yes, unique. Yeah. I think so. I think it will be unique for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think I was not super optimistic before Tokyo that it was going to be a good experience. I was like, it's just going to be so different than my previous games experience, you're not going to be able to do anything. It's going to be like really sad and depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, for me, it wasn't like once you got there, it, it did start to feel more normal. And, um, you know, the triathlon event, we had people watching because it was just outside and on the streets. And so people in Japan were watching. I don't think that would necessarily be the case in Beijing, but um, yeah, I think I'm I'm holding hope that maybe there'll be some aspect that will feel a little bit normal. <laughs> so what did you get to do then after your gold uh, medal? What was your celebration then in Tokyo? Oh, in Tokyo, well, I would say our big thing, we ordered of like a massive tray of sushi as a team. <laughs> and then we just, there was like a room in the like Team USA building um, that was like an area where all the athletes could go. And so our team kind of took over one of those rooms and had this bunch of sushi and just kind of hung out with each other. Um, yeah. The commentators were during all of the tri races commenting on how rambunctious the U S <laughs> team was. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, for me, that was awesome. Like that was such an important part of my race was everyone being there and cheering because yeah, I mean, I, I I get the comment. They were so loud. Like every time I went through tr- the transition area, it was, yeah, it was crazy. But it was, I mean, it was so fun for me. <laughs> right. You're like, oh, it worked out. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. So uh, obviously Beijing's coming up. You're training full time right now. What is after Beijing? Are you going to do another round of the Olympic cycle, Paralympic cycle? Or are we moving on? Are you going to like, what what are you doing? Yeah, no, I mean, I think Paris for sure. That's, that's kind of the next thing for me. Um, yeah, like I, three years now. yeah, I know. And that's the thing. It's, a, I mean, it's, it's three years and really like when you get, start getting into the qualification period, it's going to come up so quick. Um, and yeah, I think it would be, it would be really cool for me if I, I want to go to Paris because I want you know, my family and friends to be able to go and watch. Like Tokyo was a really great experience for me. And, but that was like the one missing piece was having my family there. Um, so yeah, I really want to go to Paris and, and hopefully, you know, have my family there to watch the race and live and uh, in person. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think immediately after I'm I'm really going to take like a pretty big break after Beijing <laughs> and then eventually get back into to some races this summer. Okay. And is LA on the horizon? Are we not too far away then? I don't think so. I mean, I just <laughs> never say never, but I, I, yeah, I think for me, I'm probably going to move on to some other things after that. Okay. Get, uh, Obviously, there's some people, you know, like some of your teammates, like Alyssa Seeley's gotten really big in advocating for Paratri. Is that kind of, you're, you're going to stay involved and like help people get into it? Or is it like, no, I'm going to just move on, do something totally different? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of like a career, I'll probably jump back into what I was doing before. Like I, I worked for four and a half years mm-hmm. um, after college before I kind of transition to more full-time training. Um, but I mean, I think sport is always going to be a part of my life. So 
so yeah, if I'm not competing or like directly involved in it, like really, I'm still going to be trying to encourage people to get into the sport, educate them about what parasport is. And um, yeah, I guess I haven't really quite figured out what that's going to look like yet. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not going to just like drop off the face of the planet. <laughs> Sometimes people do that, you know, like yeah, post know, Olympics. Or, yeah. <laughs> all right. So I guess I will end then with the question you thought I was going to ask you being, which one is your favorite? out of all of the things? Yeah. Well, I, I was disappointing answer because I can't pick one. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I think for me, I've been doing both for so long at this point and I love like the transition between the two and um, the fact that like all winter long, I get to be outside and, you know, training in the mountains. I think if I just did triathlon and I had to be training inside and, or, you know, kind of like, chasing warm weather. I, I don't think, I think I would just like get burnt out a lot quicker on triathlon. Whereas now like doing both, I'm, I get to switch. And so coming back every season, I'm, I'm excited and for both sports, so like coming back into the triathlon season, I'm excited to get started on things and, you know, getting into the ski season, I'm like excited for all of that. So, um, I don't think I could ever give up one. <laughs> we won't make you. So. <laughs> good. Well, good luck in Beijing and thanks for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Kendall and Dolores Adal, and thanks to all of you. Keep training and keep listening. <laughs>